Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning that you would teach us, lead us, guide us, correct us, rebuke us if necessary, Encourage us, strengthen us, O Father, uh, from your word. And Father, we we do desire to hear your voice. And Lord, we pray that, Father, you you would speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. This morning we come to the final piece of armor, namely the sword of the Spirit, but before we get to that, by way of review, we've been studying this passage now for many weeks. Now, what's the first piece of armor? Anybody? The belt of truth. The belt of truth, yeah. belt of truth. And we've learned that the belt of truth, that's the truth objectively and subjectively, right? It's the, that's the Word of God, and it's also the Word of God as we walk in the Word of God, correct? And the second piece, breastplate of righteousness, yeah. And that is... The actual righteousness of Jesus, isn't it? When we put our faith and our trust in Christ, an exchange is made, isn't it? You know, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, that perfect righteousness of Christ is now credited to our account. And uh, in, in, that, in that very instant, we're, we're made right with God and we're as right with God as we'll ever be. Uh, so the breastplate of righteousness actually is the righteousness of Christ that's given to us as a gift in the gospel by faith in Christ, right? Now, what's the third piece? The shoes. Yeah, the readiness given by the gospel of peace, right? And, and to help remember that, we think of that runner. I think that's the best way, that runner coming from the ancient battlefield. You know, you didn't have, you didn't have, uh, you know, you didn't have CNN, you didn't have Fox, you didn't have all these various news stations reporting from the battle lines. You know, runners actually had to come from the battle lines and they had to bring the message. And of course, the gospel is the good news. The runner is bringing good news. So that message that the runner is carrying is, is the good news. And of course, he is affected by his message, isn't he? You know, we like to share good news, don't we? And, you know, this is a wonderful, wonderful word picture of the gospel, of this readiness that's given by the gospel. The gospel itself is the message, but, uh, and we're called to proclaim the message, but the, the message actually fits us for that proclamation, doesn't it? You know, it makes us ready. So that's the next piece. What's the, what's the fourth? Shield of faith. Yeah, God is a refuge for all those who, 
who, uh, or God is a shield rather for all those who um, put their faith and trust in him, right? And what's the next piece, the fifth piece? The helmet, yeah. And last week we saw the helmet is salvation, right? The helmet is salvation. Okay, and this morning we come to our final piece, the sixth piece, which is the sword of the spirit. Now what I want to do this morning really is first explain what the sword of the spirit is and then like we've been doing with the other pieces of armor, explain how it protects us. You know, okay, that sound simple enough? You'll notice that uh, we have a phrase here, sword of the spirit, very similar to the phrases that have come before it. And you remember last week when I was talking about the helmet of salvation, I got a little bit technical with that, and I was mentioning that it's a that it's a not only a genitive phrase. You don't really need to remember that; it's kind of technical, but it's in apposition, and I think it's helpful for us to remember that. And some of them say apposition. What is that? Well, I, I gave the example. You know, if you look the word apposition up in the in an English dictionary, most of the times the example of what apposition is is more helpful than the definition. And in many English dictionaries, the example that is given is this. It'll say something like, uh, the first president of the United States, uh, comma, George Washington, and then the sentence continues. Okay? The first president of the United States and George Washington. That phrase and, and George Washington are in apposition. What that means is both the phrase and the name point to the same individual. Why is that important? It's important in understanding the helmet of salvation. What is the helmet of salvation? Well, helmet and salvation are in apposition. The helmet is salvation. You remember we talked about that a little bit last week. This is really important for us to understand. And just by way of review, let's just review that real quick. Uh, the helmet is salvation. And you remember I, I, I brought a question up last week and I said, wait a second. Now, Paul's writing to the saints here in Ephesus, right? I mean, that's the context. He's writing to people who already have salvation. And he's telling them to put on salvation. And we ask the question, okay, how does a person who already has salvation put on salvation? And the, the answer is actually really simple when we begin to understand that when the Bible speaks of salvation, sometimes it speaks narrowly, sometimes it speaks broadly. When it's speaking broadly, it's speaking of the past, the present, and the future. Now, we just got done talking about the past when we talk about uh, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, if you will. When you put your faith and your trust in Christ Jesus, that exchange is made, isn't it? His perfect righteousness is made ours. That perfect righteousness is made ours. And, of course, in this lifetime, there's still a remnant of sin in our hearts. We still continue to sin. We're not made perfectly right then and there, are we? We don't need to ponder that one, do we? We're not made perfect right then and there, but it's important that we understand that when God looks at us from that point onward, He doesn't see all the filth and everything that's going on in our lives. It's not that He doesn't know it's there, and it's not that we can't grieve Him with it. We can but we have to understand this past aspect of salvation. When God looks at you, if you're in Christ Jesus, he sees the beauty of his son Jesus. That's what he sees when he looks at you. He sees the beauty of his, of his son. And that's salvation in the past. Most of our, especially in biblical counseling, we're going to talk about that in a few, minute, a few minutes. 
But a lot of times in counseling, when people are really having trouble, a lot of times that's where it goes wrong, is understanding that, that past aspect. But then there's a present aspect. You know, and sometimes this present aspect actually clouds the past aspect. What's the present aspect? Well, here we are, pilgrim, making our way through this life. And we, in one respect, we're made new in Christ Jesus. We have this new principle in our lives. But yet we're still carrying around that, that remnant of the old, aren't we? And there's a real battlefield going on in our hearts, isn't there? And sometimes we come crawling, literally crawling into places like this on Sunday morning because we haven't had such a good week. Why? Because, well, we've gone to the left, we've gone to the right, we've gone everywhere but where we're supposed to go. Now, that's the present aspect. A lot of times we call that sanctification. It's a present aspect. God's working us through this. That's the present aspect of it. And then there's a future aspect. And I, I fear that we don't think about this enough, the What's the future aspect? A lot of times we talk about that as glorification. As I mentioned in my prayer, where is Jesus taking his church? Where is he taking us? He's taking us really to be with him to where we're going to actually see him like we see each other. We're going to hear his voice. We're going to feel his physical touch. He's going to wipe our, our, our tears away from our eyes, if you will. We're going to exist in glorious bodies resurrection bodies in a new heaven and in a new earth and that's the future sometimes when the bible speaks about salvation it has this future aspect in mind so the apostle paul when he tells us to put on the helmet of salvation uh, we saw last week that it's important that we look at all three of these that we constantly have in view really all three now uh, moving on to this morning the sword of the spirit I'm bringing all of this up because I don't want to give you the impression when you look at the helmet of salvation, you say, okay, this apposition stuff, I got it. That's great. Okay, now if you apply that to the sword of the Spirit, you're going to be in a mess. Because you're going to say, okay, this is, this is great. So the sword, okay, the helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation, so the sword of the Spirit, the sword must be the Spirit. No. This phrase is not in apposition. How do we know this? Read what comes next. The sword of the Spirit, which is What? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. The sword is not this. Whatever this sword is, it's not the Spirit. What is the sword? You read further, you find the sword is the Word of God. And our scripture memory verse from, from Hebrews chapter 4, what did it say? For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a what? A, a double-edged sword. The word sometimes is often referred to as a sword, when John sees Jesus on the island of Patmos, he's, he, he describes him, you know, out of his mouth come the words. It's like a sword, isn't it? And we have this imagery. Uh, again, we have this imagery in Isaiah chapter 11, this imagery of the, uh, the word being like a sword, where in that, in that imagery we have Jesus smiting the earth, if you will, with his word. Uh, we have that imagery of the word as a sword. So the question for us now is, in what way is the Spirit related to the sword? Why is Paul calling it a sword of the Spirit? It's really important that we answer this question before we move further. And some of you might already be on to the sin of it. Ask yourself this question, how do we get the word? How do we get it? 
And along those lines, uh, you don't need to turn here, but just listen to these verses. There's a verse in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16. It reads this way. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Or some of your Bibles will say all Scripture is inspired. We've heard those verses before, right? All Scripture is inspired. In the original language, the actual word, theonoustos is the word. It's this idea of God breathing out. The, The ESV captures this very beautifully. That all Scripture is actually breathed out by God. And we might think of uh, the creation of Adam along these lines, you know, back in Genesis chapter 2, when God gathers uh, the dust of the earth and fashions in this lifeless corpse, if you will. What does God do in order to impart life into Adam? What's he do? He breathes into him, doesn't he? And he becomes a living creature at that point, right? And this idea of God breathed. Now, when you hold on to that concept, and you don't need to turn here either, just hold on to that concept for one moment and listen to another verse, this one taken from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, where Peter says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here we have this idea of the Word of God being breathed out by God, and the human authors of Scripture being carried by the Holy Spirit in order to write it down. There's a whole lot more that could be said about that. But for our purposes this morning, we see that in this sense, the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. I don't know if that's ever hit you or not. We carry these books around, you know. and In many ways, we carry them around like they're just some other book, you know. This is not like any other book that you carry around. These words have been breathed out by God. And we have this book through the administration and agency of the third person of the Trinity. See, we're starting to see a little bit about the sword, which is the word of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There's a a second thing we could add to that. Uh, Who teaches us from the word of God? This morning, on Sunday mornings, I'm up, I'm up early on Sunday mornings. What am I doing? I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will teach us this morning. Because, quite frankly, if he doesn't, if he doesn't visit us this morning, there's not going to be any profit to us. Right? And Jesus tells his disciples on the night that he's betrayed, he says, listen, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send a helper to you. He is the Holy Spirit. He will guide you and lead you into all truth. He will teach you... Uh, all these things, and he will bring to your mind remembrance of the things that I've taught you. We find that in John 14 through 16, right? And 1 Corinthians 2 would teach pretty much the same thing, that the, the Holy Spirit is the teacher. He's our teacher. And I noticed in our bulletin this morning, and me and Donald didn't collaborate on this, but I was very wonderfully surprised. If you look at the insert, This morning, there's a question for the congregation. Do you see that? Question from the Heidelberg Catechism. And it it says, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? I'm like, this is great. This is providential. Answer first, that he is co-eternal with God, the Father, and the Son. Secondly, that he is also given to me 
by true faith makes me what? Anyone. A partaker of Christ and all his benefits. That's the third thing I was going to bring up here. See, we need the Holy Spirit gives us the Word of God. The Holy Spirit teaches us the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit actually applies the Word of God to us. You see. So the, the Apostle Paul is capturing all of this with this idea of the sword of the Spirit. Which is the Word of God. Now, I want to move on to my second point right now. And you might be thinking, wait a second, it's still not quite clear. Um, I understand that. I haven't really made it quite clear yet. But you remember when I mentioned apposition, okay? The example, you look it up in the dictionary, the example makes things far more clear than the definition. I never did give you the definition. Quite frankly, I don't remember the definition. But I remember the example. And I think the sword of the Spirit, I think it's best, I think we, we come to understand what it is as we begin to see how it works. How does it work? Well, there, there, there are several things I want to share with you this morning on how it works. First, it works in, in the area of temptation. And Jesus, Jesus exemplifies this for us marvelously. Uh, in the fourth chapter of Matthew, for example, you know, right after Jesus' baptism, He's carried by the Holy Spirit, where? Out into the wilderness, right? Where he, is, he fasts for 40 days and he meets the unbridled assault of the tempter himself, doesn't he? Jesus, is, Jesus goes before the, Satan himself and Satan begins to tempt him. Now what takes place there? Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. Physicians tell us that that's about the length of time that the human body can go before there's permanent damage done to the organs. So he's right out on the brink of where he can go, actually, before physical damage actually is done to his human organs, if we want to speak of the human nature of Jesus in that respect. He's hungry, is what I'm trying to say. He's hungry. And Satan comes to him and says, listen, if you're really the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, could Jesus have done that? No question. There's no question he could have done that. But what does Jesus do? Quoting from Deuteronomy, he says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's Jesus doing? He's pulled out a sword. He's wielding the sword of the Spirit. And that's a reminder to us that this armor that Paul is telling us to put on is the same armor that Jesus used when he was here, isn't it? It's the same sword that Jesus pulls out. Jesus has been carried out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He's there by the will of God. He's not there to be throwing a party, turning stones into bread, and Jesus knows that. He's here to be tested, and he's going to endure the test until the Lord moves him on. No, Satan. No, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's the next thing that happens? Well, the devil is on to this. Okay, you want to quote scripture? I can quote scripture. Takes him up onto the pinnacle of the temple and says, listen, you know, throw yourself off the roof. And, and quoting from Psalm 91 and verse 11, he says, he'll command his angels to grab you and keep, you, keep your feet from striking the stones, you know. And how does Jesus respond to that? Jesus knows Psalm 91. Psalm 91 doesn't teach us to go around testing the Lord like that. He says, you shall, again, he quotes from Deuteronomy. He says, you shall not put the Lord to the test. So then 
Satan takes Jesus up on a, a high mountain and shows him all of the kingdoms of the world. He says, look, see all these kingdoms, I'll give them to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. But what's Jesus say in response to that? Be gone from me, Satan. For it's the Lord you shall worship and him only. Again, quoting from Deuteronomy. Now, in this example, it would be easy for us to say, okay, I got it. Wielding the sword of the Spirit is uh, proof texting from the Bible, isn't it? Just proof texting. No. No. Sometimes you'll hear people think just quoting texts and thinking that ad hoc they're going to just start working, you know. No, that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus has stored, and I'm speaking of Jesus in terms of his human nature. You know, he's brought into this world as an infant like the rest of us. And he grows up in terms of his human nature. He grows up, you know, into manhood like all of us. He's like us in every way but one. He didn't, he's without sin, correct? And of course, he's also God at the same time. That's a little different than us too, isn't it? But nevertheless, Jesus has stored up the word of God in his heart. He has the principles in his heart. You see, it's the principles. We've got to, we, we, we can't just simply mindly proof text here. We've got to be students of the scripture, storing these things up in our hearts. Does that make sense? And you know what happens as you do that? This, the Holy Spirit creates this alarm system in your heart. Sometimes you don't always know why the alarm is going off. But something will come down the pike and you'll know there's an intrusion. Why? Because the alarm's going off. Why is the alarm going off? Because you've got this stuff stored up in your heart and something's wrong. Somebody's telling you something or you're, you're considering something that you know is wrong. And it's really, it's about the principles of the word of God that are stored up in your heart. Does that make sense? All right, let me back up a little bit. Let's go back to the, let's go back to the wilderness. Jesus is hungry. What's wrong with turning some couple stones into bread and eating? Jesus could have went to a whole bunch of places in Scripture, actually. He goes to Deuteronomy. He's not proof texting there. Jesus understands that he is on about the will of the Father. We could have went to John with this. I came not to do my will. I came to do his will, the one who sent me. It's his will that, he is, that I'm in the desert. You see, he has these principles stored up in his heart. Now, Satan also is aware of this. And he's trying to tempt Jesus to go to the left or to the right from the will of the Father. That's what's going on there. Of course, Christ's alarm goes off. He said, no. Man does not live by, by bread alone. But he lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you see that? So it's not proof texting. Let's move on to the next one. As we move on to more of these, it might become clearer. Uh, a lot of times commentators will talk about Ephesians 6 and verse 17, namely the sword of the Spirit. And they'll say, here's the piece of armor that we use to mount an offense against Satan. You know, and, and I, some of them go as far to say that that's, what, that's all that this is for, is for offense. But I've already demonstrated to you that it's used in, in defense as well. When two people get in a sword fight, Okay, there's an offense and defense going back and forth, isn't there? I mean, unless you're really up against somebody that's much mightier than you, you're, you're on defense until you're finally down. But usually it's back and forth, isn't it? 
The sword of the spirit goes both ways. It's, 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 it's for our defense. It's also for offense. How do we use it for offense? There's a couple, several ways. And uh, one of them is in proclaiming the gospel. You know, when we proclaim the gospel, actually, we are actually making an offense against Satan and his kingdom. Why? Because, well, as God blesses the gospel to people's hearts, what happens? We're actually extracted from the evil one's kingdom and we're brought into Christ's kingdom, aren't we? That's, that's, an, that's a blatant attack against Satan's kingdom. And, of course, that's, that's going to aggravate him. And that's the reason we're largely in this war, isn't it? Right? Satan hates God's kingdom. He's doing everything he can to, to tear it down. While we're in Christ's kingdom, we're real, or in Satan's kingdom, we're really not a target, are we? He already has us. He's not going to bother with us because he's already got us. But as soon as someone comes and, and mounts an offense against Satan and pronounces and proclaims the gospel to us and the Holy Spirit blesses that gospel to our hearts, well, guess what? We're now AWOL from Satan's kingdom and we're brought into God's kingdom, right? So that's a way where we wield the, the sword of the Spirit. Now, we were talking about this Wednesday night. And Wednesday night, we were looking at Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, that sermon at Pentecost. And I was pointing out Peter's use of the word of God as he's preaching the gospel. And we, we actually were kind of talking about that and talking about personal testimony and, and different things. And I thought that would make for a good example here. Sometimes when we share our testimony with people, which is important, and I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we don't do that because it's important, that has its place, but don't confuse your testimony with the gospel. Your testimony is not the gospel. Your testimony is the effects of the gospel. And also be careful with your testimony because a lot of times our testimonies have, to have a lot more to, to be about us than about God or about Christ or about his kingdom. So be careful with your testimony because what can often happen when, when you share it, people will say, well, that's great. I, I'm glad that works for you. And really nothing come of it other than that. I'm really happy that works for you. I mean, that's, that's great. That's working for you so well. I don't care to try it, but... But when we share the gospel, that's not the, that's not the response you're going to get. When you share the gospel and you tell people, listen, God created you and he's given breath in your lungs and he's keeping your heart beating and everything that you have that's good in your life has come from him. Okay, that's a different matter, isn't it? Because beings that God has been so good to us, how should we respond to that? We should love him with all of our heart Mind, soul, and strength, huh? Does that sound familiar? You see, I'm wielding the sword of the Spirit. Why? I'm quoting Jesus, quoting Jesus, right? Jesus summarizes the law. The first summary of the law is you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, what's that suggesting to people who are honest with themselves? I don't do that. No, you don't do that. And that's why you're in big trouble. You're in real big trouble. And, that, and because you're in such big trouble, God has sent you a Savior. And unless you embrace Christ as your Savior, you're always going to be in big trouble. You see, that's the gospel. People don't walk away from that left. 
They can walk away from your testimony and be left really unharmed and unfazed, but they don't walk away from that that way. They don't. So you see, you're wielding the Holy Spirit. I'm wielding the Spirit right now. I'm wielding the sword of the Spirit as I, as I speak right now. We do this uh, every Sunday, every Wednesday night, and we do it as often as we're able when we're one-on-one with people. And that leads to another, another way where I actually we can do defense and offense, uh, and, and that's in the realm of biblical counseling. We think about biblical counseling. Now, someone might be thinking, well, biblical counseling, I can check out on this one. I can, you know, I can, I can check out here. I'm not a biblical counselor. Um, I, I'm not, first and foremost, I'm not referring to someone who would be set apart, aside to actually do biblical counseling uh, formally under the leadership of the session. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what happens this afternoon when someone calls you up and says, can I talk to you for a minute? Has that ever happened? Man, I got this issue, man. I hope you can, I think you can help me with. What do you think I should do? Listen, as soon as you answer that question, you're doing counseling. Now, here's the question. Is it biblical? If it's biblical, you're wielding the sword of the Spirit. If you don't know the answer, just tell people you don't know the answer. You know, four years ago when I sat down with a surgeon about getting this hand on the carpal tunnel surgery, I, I didn't know this surgeon. I didn't know her from Adam. And I'm, she, I'm, I'm sitting there in, in her office, and she's describing to me what caused, you know, what, what's causing all the problems and everything. And I, I said to her, because I've been curious about this for years, I said, what causes carpal tunnel? Who best to ask than her, you know? And you know what she said to me? <laughs> It's classic. I love it. She goes, we don't know. I mean, she could have said repetitive motion. I said, okay, I heard that. She could say it's your diet. I heard that too. You know, some people are just just prone to that. I've heard that as well. Uh, her answer is great. We don't know. You know something? You, in that moment in time, I had an immediate, immediately I respected her and trusted her. Because she had enough confidence in herself to say, look at me and say, you know, instead of saying, boy, I think I better give him an answer. He's going to think I'm like some kind of crackpot or some kind of farce or something. Instead, she just very confidently said, we don't really know. When people come to you and they ask you for help and you don't know the answer, please tell them, I don't know. But let's find out. Let's find out. And you know what will happen? You'll build so much trust with them. You know, you, you can call somebody. All of us know somebody we can call. You can call somebody. You know, feel free to contact me. If I don't know, I'll tell you I don't know. But we'll figure it out together if we can. And we'll do it biblically. And when we do it, we'll be wielding the sword of the Spirit. Amen? Which is the Word of God. Does that make sense? There's another way that, and the final way that I'll leave you with, that the sword of the Spirit protects us, and it's going on right now. As you come in here on Sunday mornings, and you participate spiritually on Sunday mornings, your faith is strengthened, isn't it? You're least likely to fall to temptation right now than you are any time of the week. Isn't that interesting? 
I'm not saying you can't fall to temptation right now. I'm saying you're least likely to. And somebody in this, right now in this very moment could be thinking about doing something you shouldn't be doing. Don't everybody look around guessing who it is. Speaking hypothetically here. <laughs> I was going to pick on Tim. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but you're least likely, aren't you? Why? Because the sword of the Spirit, it, it, it builds up our faith. You know, when you, when you share the gospel, when you help people, uh, when you come alongside of people, I can, I, I, we have no control whether anyone is going to embrace the gospel or not. And quite frankly, that's not up to us. We're not called to see to it that they believe. We're called to preach. We're called to teach. We're called to share. When we come alongside somebody who's asking us what they think they should do, a lot of times, a lot of times people are going to come to you because they already know what they want to do and they would like you just to tell them what they want to do so they can go do it. Their minds are already made up. They're going to go do that. And they're probably going to be unhappy with you when you give them the answer. And, they're, and just be prepared for that. But listen, you still stand to be strengthened through that. You'll still get a blessing in that. It's all of you who've gone alongside and helped people. You've, you've come out of it thinking, wow, I think I got more out of this than they did. You have it sent the, the sword of the Spirit. It, it builds us up, doesn't it? If you, you're in Ephesians chapter 6, there's one example of that. If you look at verse 15. See where Paul says in chapter 4, verse 15, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is head into Christ. Do you all see that? Ephesians 4, verse 15. This is an encouragement to us. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is head into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. What is the truth? That's the belt of truth, right? Which is the Word of God. And as we do this, we're wielding the sword, aren't we? And as we do this, we're growing up in every way into Him who is the head, aren't we? See that? So our strength, our faith is strengthened on Wednesday nights. Our faith is strengthened on Sunday mornings. And I hope you're all in your Bible every day. We're in our Bibles every day, aren't we? I mean, if you can go, if you can go uh, three, four, five days or a week, or if the Bible gets put down, and it's not picked up again until next Sunday, you know, you got some serious spiritual derelicts in your life. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. You got some serious problems going on. And you're actually running around, assuming that you're in Christ, you're running around on a battlefield without a gun. Would anybody really do that? Would we run around on a battlefield without a gun? Well, you're running around without a sword. You see, we can't treat this like it's an exercise program that we can leave or take or leave. We can't do that. God has gone to great lengths to give us His Word. We're to be students of it. I mean, this is more important. I mean, exercise is really important, but this is so much more important. I mean, hobbies are important. It's important to get... But this is so much more important. You know, even our vocations are important. This is more important. Because if we don't know this, if, if we don't know this, we can't stand, can we? 
this. We have to be students of the scriptures. Amen? Okay. That's, I think, enough for this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Father. For, Lord, uh, you've gone to such great lengths to give us your word. And this morning we recognize, Father, that this last piece of armor that the Apostle Paul calls us to put on, the sword of the Spirit, oh, Father, how marvelous it is. Uh, Father, as we begin to understand and see how it works, how wonderful to have, oh, Lord, that we can have a, an instrument to protect and defend ourselves with and that we can have an instrument that is useful in uh, pulling loved ones, oh, Father, out of the, the wreckage of uh, unbelief. And, Father, we pray that, Lord, you would really implant it on our hearts that it is really uh, it's such a serious matter that we be students of your word. That our, that our minds be applied to your word, that we call on you. You've given us the word of God. You're, you're there waiting to teach us the word of God and apply the word of God. Oh, Father, we pray that you would work in our lives, that we would become serious students of the word of God. That, oh, Father, we would be able to wield this, this uh, sword, oh, Father, uh, in that evil hour and in those moments of crisis. But not only then, as we go through life and as opportunities arise, that, Father, we would be able to be an encouragement to one another, that we would grow in Christ together, and that, Father, uh, we would be useful in your hands uh, for leading men and women and children uh, into the kingdom. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.